And I'm excited this morning uh, to be jumping back into God's Word with you. We're in the last week of our series called um, in this little letter of Jude called Wolves Among Us. And we've really been looking over the last three or four weeks in the book of Jude uh, and discovering what it looks like to contend for the faith. That's what Jude said in verse 3. That's kind of the banner over the whole letter. He is calling us as the people of God to contend for the faith, to go and stand in defense of the faith. And we do this because in every generation of the church, in every generation, from, from Jude's generation, which was the, the birth of the church, to right now, right here at New Beginnings, the church is going to deal with what the, is described as wolves in sheep's clothing, right? False teachers, false believers, those who are teaching a false gospel. Jude describes them in verse 4 as people who have crept in unnoticed ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. He said they're, they're in. They've crept in unnoticed, and it's an issue for the church, basically saying they may look the part, right, but um, they deny the authority of Jesus in their lives. They promote a false gospel and a false way of living. And so Jude gives this very direct charge to the church which is that it is the responsibility of the church in every generation to stand in defense of the faith. And almost the entire letter of Jude is addressing this problem. 21 out of 25 verses deal with this issue of contending for the faith. But we come to the end this morning, and we're going to look at the last two verses and in these last two verses, you're going to feel Jude kind of make a little subtle shift. And he's going to go from these warnings and these alarms to um, giving us courage and reminding us why we can wade out into the battle for faith without fear. And, and he's going to help us through this encouragement. And so really what we see in verse 24 and 25, which by the way is some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, You've, you've heard me quote them before. I think they're absolutely beautiful. And what we, what we find in verse 24 and 25 of Jude is what we call a doxology. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. It's a compound word that just simply means praise to God. That's what it means. It means a, a, a praise given to God. You see little doxologies written throughout the entire Bible. You see a lot of them kind of scattered uh, in the New Testament. Paul was... Um, exceptionally good at writing these doxologies. Let me give you a few examples so you've kind of got your brain around it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says this, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. That's this Godward-focused praise. Does that make sense? He does another one in Romans chapter 11, right in the middle of his letter uh, to the church at Rome, and he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how, his, how inscrutable his ways. And then he says in verse 36, for from him and through him and to him, are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. That's a doxology, this very Godward focused praise, uh, a phrase of praise and thanksgiving. And really, from the beginning of the church, from the birth of the church, we have used these doxologies to express our love to God and our thanksgiving to him. 
and our praise to him. And this morning, we get to look at one of the most beautiful doxologies in the Bible. And so I want you to grab your Bible. Go to Jude. If you haven't gotten there yet, you're going to go to Revelation and turn one page back, and you'll be landing uh, on Jude. And we're going to read verse 24 and 25. And we don't do this every Sunday, but I just feel compelled to do it today. Would you just stand and let's read God's Word together? I'm just going to honor God's Word this way today um, as we read these words. Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, I'm just asking that as we navigate into your word this morning, Father, that we would experience your presence. We would hear your voice. God, our confession is that we need you. My confession, Lord Jesus, is that I need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to come. So would you come and receive glory? Would you come and receive majesty and dominion and authority? And would you come and move in our hearts and cause your word to come alive to us today? I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for doing that. You guys can be seated. Really, if you look at the book of Jude, what you discover is he begins and ends his letter with these words of praise. If you look in the first verse of Jude, he says, to those who are called, he's telling us who he's writing the letter to, to those who are called, who are beloved in God, uh, the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he kind of begins with this focus on being loved by God and the mercy of God and the peace of God. So he begins very lovingly, very nurturingly, and he ends very lovingly and very nurturing, very pastoral. And um, if you only look at the bookends of the letter of Jude, um, it, it would be easy to miss what this letter is really about because these nurturing bookends stand somewhat in opposition to the rest of the letter because once you get past verse 2, from verse 3 to verse 23, Jude is sounding the alarm. He is, he is calling the soldiers, he is calling the church to arms in defense of the faith. And here's why he's having to do that. Because Jude's church was dealing with a very dangerous environment. He was dealing with a problem on two fronts. The first was false teachers, heretical teachers. The other was not just in false teaching, but in false living. What do I mean? So he had people who were coming in, uh, creeping into the church, and they were teaching a false gospel, a false doctrine. They were teaching things that, uh, yes, it's okay to have Jesus, but there's also angel worship, and there's the worship of ancestors. And if you want to have Jesus, you still have to hold on to all the Jewish traditions and keep all of that. And so they were preaching this Jesus plus something else doctrine, right? They were teaching this false doctrine, but that wasn't the only issue. There was also the issue of there being people in the church who would acknowledge Jesus with their lips. They would say with their mouth that Jesus is my Lord, but they would deny that lordship in how they lived. Doesn't sound like a problem just for Jude's church, does it? 
They would say all the right words, but they would deny the truth of those words in how they lived their life. Jesus would say, they acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are what? This is the interactive part of the program where I'll ask you a question. Jesus said, they acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. Right? And this is what Jude was dealing with. And really, when you consider this little 25-verse letter, what you discover is Jude is diagnosing a spiritual problem, a spiritual condition in the church. That's what he's doing. He's kind of, he's kind of serving as a, as a spiritual doctor, if you will, which, by the way, is, is, what a, is what a good pastor does, right? That's kind of what Jude is doing. When you go to the doctor, what do you expect that doctor to do? When you go to a physician, you expect him to examine you, find the problem, and help you work through the problem, right? If I go see my physician and I say, hey, man, I don't feel good. I don't know what's wrong. I just feel bad. I'm tired all the time. I don't know what the problem is. If my physician looks at me and says, okay, Matt, here's the first thing I want you to do. One, ignore that. Just ignore it, right? And I, I really want you to stop exercising because that's a total waste of time, right? This, and then I've got this really cool diet I want you to try. It's called the Dr. Pepper Tweaky Diet, right? I want you to get on that immediately. I want you to start chain smoking right away, right away. And I want you to try to only sleep about two hours a night. Do that for six months and come see me. Well, first of all, I'm going to a new doctor, Right? That's terrible advice because when I go to a doctor and I've got a problem, what I need that doctor to do is look at me and go, hey, man, there's some things you got to change. You, you probably need to lose a little bit more weight. You're going to have to stay on that blood pressure medicine because your family's got this history. We're going to be taking care of your heart in a certain way, and you're going to watch this because you've got a history in your family of this condition, and we're going to make sure your cholesterol stays in balance and in check, and Right? I need that kind of person. To, that's why I go see my buddy Matt Roberts over there because he's like, hey, dude, we're going to stay on this medicine, right? That's what I need my physician to do. But by the way, that's what the church needs its leaders to do. That's what the church needs its pastors to do. And Jude, being a good pastor, is diagnosing this problem that the church has. I'll give you an example of, of how that has worked here at New Beginnings. Um, Toward the, the back half of last year, Pastor Todd and, and our elders and, and our pastors, we really began to wrestle with this feeling that there was something just not right at New Beginnings. It was just something off. There was something, um, there was something wrong. We had lots of activities. We had lots of growing. There was a lot of people, but we weren't seeing a display of God's power. What do I mean by that? We weren't seeing conversions. We weren't seeing salvations. We weren't seeing people being healed. We weren't seeing this growing desire for God's presence in our lives. We weren't seeing people being raised up as disciples. We felt like what we saw were people kind of becoming idle in their spiritual growth. And there were lots of folks, including us, including me, who loved the activities of the church and what the church could give, but were missing the true purpose of the church. So what did we do? We believed that the medicine for our condition was to pray. That's what we believed, that we needed to start praying. And we began to pray on January the 13th of this year. And I got to tell you, 
I've been a believer since I was nine. I've been praying since I was nine. And, and I just want to be honest and say that as your pastor, I think I relearned how to pray this year. <laughs> I think I started learning how to do it again. To pray. And we begin to pray. And listen, when we begin to pray, when we begin to beg God to give us his presence, we be, when we begin to absolutely say, we will push every chip onto the table and let go of it if it means we get to have you. When we begin to pray like that, when we begin to take that medicine, we begin to see God move. We begin to experience a manifestation of his presence, and we begin to see miracles, the miracle of salvation. We saw people coming to faith almost 200 times this year. Somebody this morning in the 930 service, a grown man came down and said, i got to give my life to Jesus today. We began to see that as a result of this praying. We began to see the miracle of, of sin that had been hidden in the dark, being drug out into the light, dealt with and forgiven, and people set free. We began to see miracles of healing, sick bodies being made well. We begin to see the miracle of marriages being restored, people feeling called to ministry. God began to move. That's what we began to experience when we began to take that medicine of prayer to deal with the spiritual condition that we had as a church. And in that same way, Judas, Jude's church is experiencing hardship and difficulty and false teaching, and, and fake believers, and, and false doctrine, and people being led astray, and, and believers that were struggling to hold on to the faith. And Jude, ha, Jude has spent this entire letter diagnosing the problem. And now in verse 24 and 25, he's going to tell us how to get the healing. And so I'm hoping this is so very encouraging to you today as we look in these verses and see how Jude is going to reset our feet on the rock-solid foundation of the gospel of grace and the power and the love of God. That's what we're going to see this morning. So I want you to look again at verse 24. Look again at that verse. Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I think those first six words are possibly the most important in all of these verses and maybe the most important in this entire letter. Jude says, now to him who is able. Say, God is able. God is able. Right? What does it mean that God is able? What does it mean? Oh, we love that. There used to be a song that we sang here called God is able. I still love that song. I still beg Philip to do it every now and then. He doesn't do it. And so... <laughs> it's a great song. Uh, but what does that mean that God is able? That word able is an incredibly important word. It's the Greek word dunomai. And if you've hung around, we've probably used that word before. That word dunomai literally means power or explosive power. What does it sound like? What is an English word that it sounds like when you say dunomai? Where do you think what word we get? Dynamite. Does anybody else think of J.J. from Good Times? Anyone? Okay, I just make sure. I just making sure we're going to show the nine thirty service online, so I can talk that way right now if I want to. Uh, sorry, that's where my brain goes. That's where we get the word dynamite, right? It's this. It's this explosive power. And so when Jude says, now to him who is able, to him who has the dunamai, the power, this is the self-sufficient, self-sustaining, 
self-originating, incomparable power of God. And listen, this is a critical point for us to take hold of as we contend for the faith. This is a critical point. Because while Jude tells us in verse 20, if you go back and read verse 20, he says that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. He is ultimately reminding us that it is God who keeps us. And as we stand in defense of the faith, we stand with confidence, unafraid to enter into the battle. Why? Because we know that our faith to believe, our power to overcome, does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. And ultimately, our security doesn't rest on us. It rests in the power of God to keep us. Amen? So we don't have to live in fear of falling away. Your salvation is secure. Listen, believer, if I could give any true believer in this room, if you are a born-again Christian, you know there's that moment where you've met Jesus, he's made you new, he is the Lord and Savior of your life. If you know that is true in this room, I want to give you a gift this morning, and that is this. Your salvation is secure. It is secure. And it doesn't rest on what you do to keep it. Your belonging to God is secure because it is the perfect power of God that keeps you. It is his dunomai, his explosive power. There's some other places uh, throughout the New Testament where we see this word used, and it just is such an encouragement to me. I want you to hear some of these God is able he is able statements. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, it says that God is able to strengthen you in the gospel. It's the exact same word. He has the dunomai to strengthen you in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says he is able, he has the power to make all grace abound to you. I love that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says he is able to help us in our temptation. Oh, that's an important one for us. It is not, listen to me, believer, it is not in the power of your will that you find victory over sin. It is in the power of God. It is he is able. When, when the writer of Hebrews, if he would have said, hey, you are able to overcome the temptation of sin. You can just do that all on your own. We would love that. And we would also fail miserably. But what he said was, God is able, God has the power, God has the dunomai to help you in your temptation. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, He is able, He has the power to save us to the uttermost. In 2 Timothy first one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, He is able, He has the power to guard the truth that has been entrusted to us. One of our favorites is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even imagine. But I think probably my favorite one is Revelation 5. If you remember Revelation 5, John's having this vision of heaven. And he says, I looked and the one who sat on the throne had a scroll in his hand. And an angel proclaimed in all of heaven... Is there anyone who is able to take the scroll and open it and look inside of it? And then it says, John said, and I began to weep because no one was able. No one had the 
power. No one had the authority, the dunomai, to open the scroll. And then he says, but an elder came to me and said, weep no more, for the lamb that was slain is able to take the scroll and open it. Why take the time to tell you that? Because I want to tell you that when we say God is able, we are saying there truly is nothing too hard for God. There is no situation that is beyond him. There is no person beyond his reach. There is no battle that is too difficult for God because our God is able. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, since he has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent, omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. That's what Jude means when he says, now to him who is able. Does that fire anybody else up this morning, or am I out on some island by myself? Look, I've been gone for two weeks. I'm going to yell and spit for a minute, so y'all need to come on. <laughs> there is something empowering and very uh, refreshing and fulfilling and encouraging and uplifting when we consider that God is able. And the result of this power, this, this ability is absolutely transformative in our lives as we contend for the faith. So very quickly, there are three outcomes I want you to see this morning. Three outcomes I want us to discover that are the result of God's power. All right, because God is able, these three things are true. Let's navigate through them. Here's the first one. Because God is able, we are preserved in our salvation. We are preserved in our salvation. Look at the first part of verse 24. Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, it's important to understand and to make a little bit of a clarity here that that word stumbling is not a reference to, to sin necessarily. Jude isn't saying now to him who is able to keep you from sinning. Now, if we are in Christ, in the power of Christ, do we have the power to overcome sin? Yes. Remember just a minute ago when I said he is able to help you in temptation, right? So in Christ, we have the power to overcome sin. But here's what we know. God's people are still going to struggle with sin, right? 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we are still going to battle this, right? What Judas talking about is God's ability to keep his people from falling away from the faith. That's what he's talking about. Now I want you to remember, you have to see these verses in the context of the entire letter, right? This entire letter is about contending for the faith and not being led astray by the wolves who are dressed like sheep and knowing how to engage those who are confused and those who have been deceived so that we might bring them back. So when Jude says God is able to keep you from stumbling, 
He is saying that in this fight for the faith, God has the power to keep his people in his grace, secure us in our salvation, and hold us there eternally. That's what he means. Now you say, well, hold on, Matt, because what about those people who were in the faith, but now they deny the faith, and they say they don't believe anymore? What about that person? I saw him on the news. He's, what about these, these guys who were like faith leaders, and now they've abandoned? What about those people? They didn't stay in the faith. They, they weren't held secure. I have to measure that against what God's Word teaches us. Here's what God's Word teaches Jesus, uh, God's word says that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They belong to me. I am their shepherd. They are my sheep. And he says these words, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Not even themselves can snatch them out of my hand. Right? So I want to give you a little present this morning. Again, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, hear me say this. Your salvation is secure. And when you see someone who says, I am walking away from the faith, hear this. God's word affirms in my heart that they never had been transformed by it in the first place. Because if you've been transformed by faith in Jesus, Jesus says, I don't care. You don't come out of my hand. Once you're in it, you're mine, and you got nowhere to go. You belong to me. And so when you see those who have walked away, what they're walking away from is their best effort to try and take hold of something that's never taken hold of them. That's what they're walking away from. And I think there's some of you in this room this morning who you would say, man, I'm just trying as hard as I can to take hold of something. But the reality is what you need is for this faith to take hold of you. And rather than being on a treadmill and running in hard, as hard as you can to try to do the best you can, you need to step off and sit in the chair of faith and say, I'm just going to trust Jesus as my Savior. That's what I think we see here. And Jude said something very similar to this in verse 1. He said, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That word kept in verse 1 and the word keep in verse 24, not him who is able to keep you from stumbling, is simply two different tenses of the same word. It's a word that implies protecting and preserving and standing guard over something precious. And listen, that is what God does for those who belong to him. He guards, he preserves, and he keeps. There are some significant implications here as we wrestle for and rest in the security of our salvation. I want you to hear me. You weren't saved by any good thing you did. Amen? You were not saved by any good thing. You were saved by the good thing that Jesus did, which means this. You can't lose your salvation by a bad thing that you do. Because our salvation never rested in our good works. It was never dependent upon our actions. Our salvation was born in the generosity of God. It was given through the person of Jesus Christ. It was secured in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You didn't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. God saved you. God sealed you, and he will keep you. Yes. 
And I think there's just so many of God's people who always feel shaky around their salvation. And I want you to know this morning, if you can point to a time in your life where Jesus has changed you and made you new, you can set that doubt aside and you can say, I am kept. Now to him who is able, who has the explosive power to keep me from stumbling. My, I'm, because God is able, we are preserved in our salvation. And because the power of God preserves us in this salvation, listen, we don't have to fear standing in defense of the faith. I think so many times the church, the believers, we struggle to, to stand in defense of the faith because our own salvation doesn't feel steady. And so we never have the confidence. There's always this fear of wading out into a hard conversation, of standing up when it's going to be awkward, of, of pressing ourselves or putting ourselves in a position where we stand out against the crowd. But I want you to listen to what Paul said to his young pastor friend in Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul said this. He said, Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? I got all day. Y'all need to come on. He said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? But of power. And y'all must want to go to lunch. <laughs> you ain't preaching to me all day. I got stuff to do. But of power and love and self-control. Therefore, because that is true, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul said this. Do not hesitate to wade out into the battle for the gospel because even when you suffer, you are under the banner of the power of God. Anthony Showalter, who was a music teacher in the late 1800s, said it this way. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on these everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarms. You want to know what that was born from? The keeping power of God. Our holding fast to the faith has everything to do with God's ability and power to keep us and nothing to do with our power to keep ourselves. God does the keeping, meaning this, and then I'm moving on. Those who truly belong to Jesus will never stop belonging to Jesus. And that is good news. We are preserved in our salvation because God is able. Also, because God is able, we are presented before his throne. Look at the rest of verse 24. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This is the part of this verse that makes me shake my head in disbelief that it's true. It, it, the idea of being kept and presented blameless before the throne of God should absolutely astound us. It should astound us. Because I know me. I know me. 
And you know you. And Jude says, yeah, Jesus knows you too, but he's going to present you blameless. That just floors me. That just floors me completely. That word presented means to make, to stand, to cause, to a stand, to, sta- to establish is, is what it means. And Jude is saying that God not only keeps us in our salvation, keeps us secure, but in that salvation, he positions us to stand before his presence. Now, there's, uh, the only way I can tackle this back half of this verse is just divided into three quick parts. Um, I don't know how to navigate it any other way because it's so rich to unpack what it means to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So let's just break this down very quickly. Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. What's he talking about right there? Jude is talking about the the day of judgment when every person, every person in history from the beginning of time to the end of it will stand before the living God. And Jude says that God is able on that day to present us blameless. Wow. Now listen to me. Blameless doesn't mean without sin. Blameless means unblameable without accusation. That's what it means. It means we are, we are presented without accusation against us. That's the work of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the saving work of Jesus. This is being presented in the righteousness of Christ. This is not our own efforts. This is not our own merits. This is God's power. It is his dunamai at work on our behalf, which you cannot forgive your own sins. Amen? You can't do it. You cannot grant yourself eternal life. Only God is able to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? You will absolutely, like me, stand before him. You will stand before him. And when we stand before him, we will have nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. He isn't going to ask, did you go to church? And I need somebody in this room to hear me say that. He isn't going to ask, did you put a 20 in the plate every now and then? He isn't going to ask, did you take your neighbor a bowl of soup when they were sick? What he's going to ask is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you make him the Lord of your life? Because if you did, you are now wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus and presented blameless. And what Jude is saying is we give praise to God through Jesus Christ because it is God who through Jesus Christ makes us blameless in that place where every fault is exposed. (laughs) And apart from Jesus, the presence of his glory will be a place of dread and regret and hopelessness. But in Jesus, Jude says, we are presented before his glorious presence with great joy. We are presented blameless before the presence of God, before his 
the presence of his glory. And here's the little third line. He says, with great joy. I love that. Notice he doesn't say we're going to stand before the throne of God in the judgment of condemnation. Condemnation is not yours if you belong to Jesus. Romans 8, 1 is yours, which says there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You will not stand before the throne of God in the judgment of condemnation. You will stand, you will be presented, you will be established before the throne of God in the joy of justification, meaning that because of Christ and what he has done, I am justified before him, blameless and with great joy. On that day, there is going to be no flaw in you. You will be transformed. You will be completely new, washed clean, sins wiped out, guilt dealt with, forgiveness won, shame defeated, and eternity secure. That's going to provide some joy. And listen, it's going to be great joy because of what you experience, your joy of being presented to God and God's joy in welcoming you home. What a beautiful thing, right? You want to know why the Psalms say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? Because it is God's joy to welcome his children home. It's his joy to do that. And Jude says we are going to be presented before the glory of his presence, blameless and with great joy. Ours at at being presented his, at receiving us home. Because God is able, we are preserved in our salvation. We are presented before his throne. And here's the last thing, and I'll hustle. We're going to give praise to God forever. Because God is able, we will give praise to him forever. Look at verse 25. Jude says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. There is only one response to the God who has done all of this. There is only one response to the God who preserves us, gives of salvation and preserves us in it, to the God who presents us blameless. There's only one response. That's worship. Worship. Well, what is worship? Worship is really summed up in two words, and you maybe have heard me talk about this before. It's summed up in two words, revelation and response, meaning this, God reveals to us who he is, and we respond to what he has revealed. And if you think about it, that's what we see in verse 24 and 25. Jude reveals who God is to us by saying, this is the God who is able, who is powerful to keep you to present you and to make you blameless, even in his glorious presence. This is who God is. And now verse 25 is our response to who God is. And he says, here's your response. You're going to give him glory and majesty and dominion and authority in this life and in the next, now and forever. That's what Jude says. We are going to praise God forever. Uh, This is an interesting grouping of words. This is the only time in all of Scripture we see these four um, attributes of God mentioned together, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. These, These kind of divine 
perfections that are, that are a declaration of his worth um, and his worthiness of our highest praise. So let's just consider these four words for a moment. Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and without blame, blameless, to him be glory. What is God's glory? It is more than just an attribute of God. God's glory is the sum total of his divine perfections. I heard one uh, commentator, commentator say, it is the crushing weight of his character and the blinding light of his presence. And that's the glory of God. What is his majesty? Majesty is the, the dignity and the splendor that God deserves as the king of the universe. His majesty is the affirmation of his unparalleled royalty. He is absolutely royal as king of the universe. What is his dominion? His dominion is the, um, the uncontestable sovereignty with which he rules. Meaning this, no one can challenge the dominion of God. He rules in absolute sovereignty. What is his authority? This is God's power to do Whatever he wills, he has the prerogative and the right to rule in absolute sovereignty over all creation. And Jude says, because he alone is able to preserve us, because he alone is able to present us, he alone is worthy to receive this glory and this majesty and this dominion and this authority now and forever. I love what Warren Wearsby said. He said, when we praise God, we praise the most magnificent person in the universe. He is not simply king, he is king of kings. And he is not simply Lord, he is the Lord of lords. There is no one like our God. Do you believe that? And Lord God, let it be that every day, day by day, moment by moment, we as your children would be swept off our feet and rendered breathless at the magnitude that, um, that even though we are full of sin, we are presented blameless. Let us be swept off of our feet and rendered breathless at the magnitude of your worth and the depth of your grace that through Jesus Christ we can call you Father. When was the last time the glory of God and the mercy of God and the grace that he's extended to you really kind of swept you off your feet? I don't want to miss it. I don't want to waste a day not standing in awe of the mercy that overcame my sin and the grace that allows me to call him Father. I don't want to waste a day not being rendered breathless by that. This little letter, um, Jude describes men at their worst but he also describes God at his best. 
He describes men at their worst. Deceivers, confused, deceived, led astray. But he describes God at his best. Powerful, able to keep, to present, to make you blameless. So here's the point. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? And please don't answer that question with a you bet I've known Jesus since I was born. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You were born in sin, separated from God. That's where you were born. It's where I was born. Has there been a moment when you've made Jesus the Lord of your life? Not just said some words, but where you've surrendered the authority of your life and said, Jesus, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to have the glory for my life. You to be magnified and made much of. I want you to have dominion and you to have authority. I'm surrendering my life to you. Some of you in this room are amazing at playing church. But earlier when I said Jude was dealing with the issue of people who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him by their life, the Holy Spirit sparked something in you. And if I ask you this morning, we're going we're gonna to just sing. And if you need to just come and say, I think I've just been using a lot of the right words, but I don't know that I have made Jesus the Lord of my life. You need to do that today. I had a brother come down this morning and go, that's me. I need to get him. I got to do it. I believe there's someone in this room that needs to do that. Does it take courage? Yes. But wouldn't you like to walk out of here in the confidence of knowing you have received the dunamai power of God to hold you and to keep you and to have this issue settled in your life until the day he calls you home? If you need to settle that, Come and settle. If you don't know, if you're not sure what's going to happen when you stand before the judgment, now's the time. If your confession is, man, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He has made me new. I am not the same. I have been changed and born again. Then as we worship, if you want to come pray, come pray. But if you just want to sing your praise to God in thanksgiving, that he has made you new and allow him to sweep you off of your feet as you get lost in wonder and love and grace, then you do that. Let's stand. Father, thank you for an opportunity to to hear your word and to respond to it. I pray your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Move among us, God. Do not let us stand still, but move in power and let us come running to you in Jesus' name.